of the ring and a top draw until one night he got carried away and almost killed a fellow wrestler. Pierce treated life as if he was still in the ring, still the arch-villain, still the performer. He'd just swapped the feather headdress and buckskins for black. The sharp sodium wind pricked Pierce's scarred face. Scars he'd picked up years ago, but somehow they'd never weathered just remaining smooth, shiny and pink. A long stripe running from an earlobe to his top lip sectioned off one quarter of his face. A spider's web on his cheekbone where the business end of a broken stout bottle had been plunged. His left eye resembled a rare bird's egg sitting in a nest, a nest of scars. A shard of glass had penetrated it, leaving it completely redundant. A speckled, marbled jelly with streaky blue and red blood vessels running through it. Sometimes he wore an eye patch. Other times he liked the feeling of unease it gave people when he looked at them. And for his line of work, it was as good a tool for intimidation as a knife or a gun. He'd long decided that he liked his bad eye better than his good eye, but appreciated the fact that he needed the good eye to witness just how monumentally unpleasant the bad eye looked. He wouldn't swap it for the world, never mind for another good eye. And this is how Henry Pierce viewed the world. He opened the rear door. Jack Regent stepped out of the car, one foot hitting the pavement lightly and one heavier foot following. The left foot was clubbed. He had a certain gait when he walked. But the club foot, with its built-up shoe, never affected his swiftness never impeded him from what he had to do. And, like Henry Pierce, he'd learned to appreciate his physical disadvantage. But the club foot signified more than a few scars could ever achieve. For Jack had been born with it, a gift from God that marked him out. The wind-driven snow had been falling steadily and had dusted the street white. A scattering of windows were illuminated with decorous Christmas fairy lights. The tall Georgian terrace townhouses that lined St. Michael's Place had long taken a beating, been slummed over and turned into walk-up flats. One or two bedroom dwellings with shared bathrooms and toilets located off shabby hallways. The front door of number 27 had a red and green festive wreath attached to its heavy brass knocker. The door was off the latch, and the two men made their way inside to the dark hallway. Without turning on the light, Jack made his way up the stairs. It was on the stairs that Jack's heavy-booted foot pronounced itself, the light foot levering its way upwards while taking the weight off the other, which then landed with a distinctive thud. Four floors up, and they were on the desired landing. Jack stood at the door he was about to enter and listened for signs of life. All he heard was his own breath, measured and calm. The climb had taken nothing out of him, nor did the thought of what he was about to do unnerve him. He stepped back a couple of paces, raised the clubbed foot, then hammered it home, sending the door flying off its lock. Inside, the startled voices of a man and woman rudely awoken were heard. A light went on in a bedroom. A sliver of it escaped under the door and feebly illuminated the living room where Jack and Pierce now stood. Jack scanned the room, which was tatty and depressing. 
threadbare carpet, damp and mottled peeling wallpaper, cheap painted furniture. As an attempt at seasonal cheer, a small, tinsel-covered Christmas tree stood in the corner of the room, shedding pine needles onto a handful of wrapped presents. Some cards stood on the mantelpiece. What the bloody hell is— A woman's voice, fearful, as she started getting out of bed and pulling on a dressing gown. The doorknob turned. Jack bolted to the door and entered the room before she could exit. The door slammed shut. No! Please, God, no! Her panic-pitched voice scorching the ceiling but going nowhere. Jack grabbed her hair and reeled her in towards him. Her long, shiny auburn tresses were wrapped around his hand like silk rope as he forced her to her knees. Her head was pulled back, the long, white neck.